Episode number 88. Pull that off. All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. I distracted you. You did distract me. And now we're on. Hello. Hey. <laughs> you, you are very distracted. In a yeah, because I, I had lots of... Um, discussion about building work behind my house so uh yeah, it was very ex- very exciting yeah it was the cats that really uh well this is you, good this is attention. good because i think it'll tie in we can tie anything in into today's conversation actually because it's about human intelligences with yes. an s with a very big s with a very big s so just as well what's this what was what sparked our interest in this i think yeah i don't remember if i started this conversation have you started this conversation but I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off as an intro so let listeners know where we're at so traditionally when we're talking about intelligence um, I think we tend to think about like book smarts or how well someone can well and you you say like the the big test is IQ test isn't it yeah, it's like what's your IQ, IQ? and your that's IQ. yeah and how well can you reason and solve problems um, almost a sort of logical, critical thinking aspect is what we tend to think of as um, a sign of intelligence. Yep. Whereas the guy we're going to talk about today, Howard Gardner, he came up with a theory that explains that there's more than one intelligence. In fact, I think initially it was seven, then it's eight. Now it's ten. A, now it's ten. Yep. I think officially it's still just the original Eight. eight okay and then there's two because they're harder to measure i think is why he hasn't included them any in terms of ooh, never had that happen before crash um yeah so the two because in the community in the educational community and 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 the like it's harder to prove those other two so he gets a lot of flack by trying to add those but we can talk about that later but they're still there um Yeah, that's kind of ironic because, I mean, I think that's sort of part of the discussion is that some of these kind of intelligences aren't as easily sort of made concrete. And so, or, or, uh, you know, some of them are less able to be qualitatively or quantitatively assessed. Yeah. And so they're sort of put down the list of how, you know, how much they count, I guess. Things that interest me about this conversation is just thinking about the school system. And, you know, and it's been ages since I've been in the traditional school system, so I can only go back to, you know, my experience of school and what I imagine school to be like now. I know it's changed a bit, but I think it's similarly the same. And maybe it's a question of just, you know, can you cater to individual students in relationship to helping someone with their learning, and this isn't about, I need to make this clear, because I think in a lot of the reading we were doing, this isn't about learning styles, it is about intelligence, although sometimes you might read and some of the literature kind of blends those two together, so this, this isn't about how best people learn, but if you're thinking about smart, when you say someone's smart, it's about, well, what kind of smart is someone? Is it linguistic? Is it Yeah, so, so basically, Gar- um, so when I was listening to Howard Gardner, who's the guy who came up with this idea, I mean, he came up with it in the 80s, so it's, yeah. it's sort of depressing that it hasn't taken a little bit more than, than, uh, than it has, but 
basically he was saying that he was working both at Harvard University but also in a um, hospital in Boston and how a lot of his research came out of his work with patients that had suffered some kind of brain trauma mm. and therefore had certain capacities that they retained but others that you know so whether you're talking about stroke or whatnot and so he said that you know it was and this this wasn't something that was new it was sort of well known that you know if someone had a stroke then they might you know lose their linguistic capacities they can't really speak or put words together but they are still able to play the piano or you know um, play chess or something and others might have been really good at chess and have lost that ability but still as he explains you know be able to laugh at a joke you know that they understand jokes so when he's working with all these people I think that's where this sort of understanding of what he means by intelligences sort of comes from is like what capabilities you have yeah yeah because I, I, yeah, I mean you know the first one is verbal linguistic intelligence okay right which I think is the traditional one that we're thinking about perhaps intelligent that refers to an individual's ability to analyze information and produce work that involves oral and written languages and that's both sort of speech books emails that kind of stuff the second one was logical mathematical intelligence, which describes a person's ability to develop equations and proofs and make calculations and, and solve abstract problems. But I think also in terms of, because this is the thing, and I suppose we can talk about this later, what, what our test sort of revealed about us, but you know, it's also about making logical relationships between things. It is not necessarily mathematical, yeah. but you know, in the way that proofs sort of follow a after this, then this, then this. I think that can happen in any aspect of life. Yeah. And, and you come across people who make leaps that are really illogical, whether it's, you know, in terms of someone's actions or... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, cool. Keep going. Uh, visual spatial intelligence, which allows people to comprehend maps and other types of graphical info information. I'm surprised I scored as high as I did, and that was a 33%. Well, in listening to um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not the visual or spatial. with... with Gardner, he was pointed out that even blind people can have spatial intelligence. While they can't see, right. they can still have spatial intelligence. That's interesting, yeah. And, okay. and then there's musical intelligence. So um, that's about individuals who can produce and make meaning of different types of sound. Um, another one was naturalistic intelligence, which refers to the ability to identify and distinguish among different types of plants, animals, weather formations, and that type of thing. I think that one is sometimes called is the, the yeah the naturalistic. Then there's the body kinesthetic intelligence, which entails using one's own body to create products and or solve problems. Um, and then interpersonal intelligence, which is about recognizing and understanding other people's moves, desires, motivations, and intentions. And then the, the last one, but they will talk about the other ones as well. This is the last one that's still officially a part of those intelligences, the intrapersonal, um, which refers to a person's ability to recognize and assess the same characteristics within themselves. So it's a, an inward-looking skill. And sort of an inward understanding. So yeah. understanding yourself and sort of what your emotions and yeah. and also talents and, and stuff are that you can then bring that out. And yeah. I like the other two because, in fact, the one would fit well with Havana Cafe podcast, this existentialist yeah. one, which is about, and how we phrase it, it is the 
um, sensitivity to asking the big questions. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I hey, bet we'd man, score high on that. That's ours. Come on, yeah. man. And then there's the other one that doesn't get um, airplay in the test um, is pedagogical. The pedagogical one. Yeah, so that's the ability the to teach, yep. Yes. Okay, cool. So, um, and I think so. The thing that was important about this for me is. Um, I know going through the sort of school system, and I'm bringing it back to schools, I'm just thinking about education, and I think about you know, my own sort of self-awareness about how best I learn and um, how best I take in information and be able to do something with that information in the best way wasn't necessarily always traditionally with the way it was at yeah. school. Yeah. So right off the bat, if I think about if I just go back to university, um, my university happened to be one where you're kind of forced to do certain courses for the first two years. Very ha I went to West Point. It's very math um, and engineering oriented. So okay. the first two years, there's no electives of maybe one or two, but basically all core courses along those lines, which the whole mathematical thing is just not my thing. And that's my lowest score. Oh, is that interesting? And I struggled the first two years. In the second two years, you get to choose your major, and then you get to take your electives, and it was all humanities stuff. Right. And then I know how long I had to study, and I could just listen, and you know, then I started shining, but right. almost too late to overcome how bad I did in the first two years. Right, interesting. Um, in it. But then when I was allowed to be within my space, yeah. um, then I was able to thrive. Yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering if we did that earlier with kids, like if we could identify these, which is your natural intelligence. Yeah. Well, you have more, but as this test shows, it's just more than one, and sometimes you score very high, like a couple of mine are very close. Yeah. Um, and, and you can develop the others. And I think he described it, Gardner described it perfectly as in the way he's in, talking about intelligence. It's more about how easier it is for you to pick up that skill or learn so some people just be able to pick it up better than others like in, in that yeah instance, linguistic yeah. For, instance, yeah, for instance yeah, yeah. like i've always studied languages but i always found them very difficult yeah but then you know other people just seem to just really pick up languages That's without yeah. yeah yeah you know there's so many different kind of things to go off on with that but I think when you're talking about school and talking about what you're allowed to do, I think that, um, yeah, it, it gets really tough because, of course, there's only a certain pathway that, that is acceptable. And if you have all these other strengths, but they don't ever get sort of recognized as, it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then, And I think, I guess... What it makes me think is that, you know, when, when you take the test and you, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes if anyone wants to do it for themselves, but, you know, you, you sort of have your list. And, you, and, and you know, for the most part, I think, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, you can sort of almost name when you're an adult what you're sort of good at. And I, yeah. I already know that I'm not good at visual, spa or spatial, you know, for instance. But if your strengths don't line up with the requirements of school, you're always called to play to your like not, not weaknesses is the wrong word maybe but 
you know, and, and there's that other stuff that we read about how actually you need to kind of recognize what you're good at and then play to your strengths rather than always be focused on what you're not good at and getting better at what you're not good yeah. at. And I think there's something in that. It's like, if you're not good at certain things that school requires, you just, you don't spend time developing your talents that you are good at. You just spend all your time in your weak areas. Yeah. And those are never going to necessarily be your strengths, right. no matter how much time you put into them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that Gardner makes a point of saying is it's not so much. So, for instance, if you have a propensity towards a, um, the musical intelligence, it doesn't necessarily mean that in school that all you should do is stuff that's related to sound and music. But what he's saying is if you've got to learn math, can we create a test and a way of learning math that caters to someone that has a more musical sensibility. So I'm going to teach them the same stuff, but I'm going to I'm going to present the information and allow them to explore the information in the way that suits their natural intelligence. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just making everybody um, play to those top two ones that are most valued. Yep. Um, which is the sort of math, reasoning, and the logic bit. Yeah. Um, and force them in that mode as opposed to allowing them to develop and learn the same material but in the way that's conducive for them um, and it's a, that's a tough one because um, I think you were just pointing out I mean if you know one you'd have to you know if I'm a teacher and I access this and you know how as a teacher do I cater for a, if I'm trying but, to get a lesson does, how can I yeah, push all that yeah but he does he does say points? that he's not really suggesting that every single topic you teach in eight different ways yeah he's just saying that you know there shouldn't be one or two that are given all the weight throughout every subject all day long. Yeah. You know, that it or should maybe, be... maybe, maybe you could just process people through and put them in cohorts. You know, all the yeah, musical then, people go over there. Yeah, but then... But yeah, but I guess... Then you, you know, I think it's okay. It's okay to explore things that you're not good at and, and sort of appreciate that yeah. there are, you know, so I think it's all okay, but when you're... When every single lesson is taught within this certain framework and assessed within this certain framework. You don't get the sense that, oh, you're good at this and I'm good at this. It's like, you're always good at stuff and I'm not, never good at stuff. Well, here's something that you might be able to relate to because I know you said your son, he's very uh, physically oriented. Well, he's very active, active, but I think actually if I were to, if I were to look at him on this scale, it would be linguistic and, and visual spatial is his real right. strength, yeah. And the reason I was saying it is that I know that my best way of of picking up some things is one is listening, but two, if we're talking about body kinesthetic, is if I can listen and then also wander around and right. talk out loud, yeah. I can pick up something that quick. So sometimes when I'm at home and I'm trying to pick up something or I'm trying to create something, I literally have loads of like sheets of paper that I can and markers and stuff to scribble on, and I just throw them on the floor, and then I'm pacing and walking around, um, and then that just helps me to create things and to to learn things and that right. that same sort of well, way. Well, this is your sort of going for walks and thinking, yeah, isn't that it? As well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, I wrote this big long quote down because it was so good from um, Howard Gardner. He says. Human beings have very different kinds of intellectual strengths. If everyone's intelligence was the same, as we sort of, I think there's a recognition now that, that there are different kinds of intelligence, but we don't actually 
it's sort of one of those things where it's come into our minds but not filtered through into the way that we behave and assess mm. people you know so it's sort of like it's still just a thought it's not actually how we act yeah we've identified yeah. it but are we doing anything about no. it no he says we could teach every um we could teach everyone so if everyone's intelligence was the same we could teach everyone the same things in the same way and assess them in the same way and that would be fair which is basically how school works but once we realize that people have very different kinds of minds, different kinds of strengths, some people think spatially, others are good at language, others are very logical, then education that treats everyone the same is actually the most unfair education because it picks out one kind of mind and it's what he calls the professor mind, or sorry, the law professor mind, someone who's very linguistic and logical, and says, if you're like this, that's great. If you don't think like this, there's no room for you on the train. So it's... Here's and I think thing. that's very true, you know, both from my own experience watching other people in my class mm. go th in going through school and then now watching my kids. Yeah, and, and um, there's a, well, a couple of points I wanted to make. One I want to tell you, and I'm, I'll do that in a minute, is uh, an example of a Joss Stone I wrote down that I thought exhibits some of this, what uh, you just read out there. It was a good example of um, and then the other thing was around um, that these things may be cyclical. So at present, because mm -hmm. one of the things that came up in the interview that I was listening to is right now we're still valuing the sort of mathematical yeah. aspect. But what happens as we're seeing more and more, and we talked, had a good conversation about bots, um, that computers take over that aspect. Will other intelligences then yeah. become more valued because yeah. we no longer have to focus on and do those things um, because um, you know, maybe the machines are, are doing that. Um, so I think that was an interesting one. So to illustrate the point you just talked about, about the advantages and disadvantages in maybe education, the singer Joss Stone, um, she, I was reading an interview and I can't remember which newspaper it was in, but essentially um, you know, she left school at a very young age. I think she was like okay. 15 or something like that. But anyway, she's a really brilliant singer and, and that, but she was not very good in school. And the one thing that I, the reason why this sticks out to me is one, because the reporter was trying to, was asking questions to, unbeknownst to her that was showing how, how not so smart she was, book smart, which I thought was bad for one him, um, to do that. But the fact that, you know, she was being forced to go through the school system to, to learn things in this way, where actually she has a, a talent or intelligence in another area, but we don't actually cater for that necessarily. Yes, yeah. there's outliers, but we don't cater for that. Yeah. Um, and so when she was able to leave that environment, then she was able to thrive in yeah. the place yeah. that her, where her natural intelligence is and do really, really well. Yeah. Um, and, in, and I remember reading that article and I was thinking, yeah, okay, if everyone was allowed to, if we could somehow, whether it was in school, out school, however that was, to identify and then cater to a kid's natural intelligences, mm -hmm. how much better off would the kid be? As yeah, opposed definitely. to kind of discovering these things sort of back. I mean, I've come, I came across this a few years ago. Yeah. But that was through my own self-discovery. No, yeah. At no point in time in school that I go through this process to identify this. You kind of well, almost I, back your way into it. The thing about music for me is, you know, I think when you're really good at something, 
sometimes it doesn't occur to you that it's your strength. It's just sort of a natural ability that you think every, yeah, Mm. you think everyone has that. And then you come across people who just can't do that. So I come across this all the time with people like you with, who are much more musically, you know, capable than me. So when you ask me like, how does this sound or something? I'm like, don't ask me that because I, I know that about myself now. I, I do not hear what I know other people must hear. And so I have a musician friend as well, Eleanor Brown. And that fact Brown. that you were about, when I asked you about music, you know, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I need, I need music to live, man. It's like my, it's like I had coffee. a good music moment this morning, though, because both the kids were in the back seat um, arguing, and I put on um, what we have, t- uh, a DVD or CD of Teenage Fan Club right. in the car, so I just put that on and blasted them, and suddenly the argument was over, and everyone was drumming yeah, in the back see, seat, so that's okay. Now you <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, you know, I have a musician friend that, you know, as well, Eleanor Brown, who, you know, when when she records and then she listens to, you know, the the recordings and the sort of master mix. Right. You know, when she talks to me about what that process is like, you know, about how the levels are and and I'm just like, I. I accept that you hear things, but I don't hear what you hear. And, you know, you can. Like, for instance, if I hear a version of a song, I might say that's fine. Yeah. But then when, when she's done something to it and fixed it, basically, and then I hear it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is way better, but I couldn't tell you how. Do you know, I've asked a musician friend of mine who's a bass player, and um, I said, music must be ruined for him in that sense, because I'm not, I, you know, I love music, mm-hmm. but I don't play an instrument in that sort mm-hmm. of sense. Um, but when he's listening to a track... He understands what's going on. Right, yes, exactly. And for him, it's like, uh, for me, I'm just enjoying it. And I think, man, music must suck for you in the sense that. No, I mean, I think the opposite, actually, because. I not music anymore. I think that, I mean, because I, I play the piano all through high school, so even though I'm not that musical, I, I can read music quite well. And, and I got up to fairly decent, although mechanical, level of playing right. me, uh, piano. But I think that, you know, if you have any of those experiences, then you, you really appreciate. Music How more, about from a writer's point of view? Because you, you know, you're in a novelist's point of view. Does that ruin some of the reading you do these days? As in your well, we were talking about Celestine and prophecy last week, and like, it? yeah, I mean, well, just, just are that. Are you reading like a reader or reading like a writer nowadays? I can do both, right. but I have to switch. So you know, when I reread Celestine prophecy, when was that? A little while ago, months ago, but we talked about it last week, mm. and. Uh, I have to really go, it's okay that the writing's really bad because the story's really good and I almost have to keep like talking myself down because yeah, yeah. the writing is really bad. <laughs> it's just like the, the, the word choice and the rhythm of the word, it just, it just grates on me. But you know, the, but the story's awesome and yeah. that's, the, that's the point. Yeah, so yeah, I can sort of, I can yeah. sort of go, okay, you know, but yeah. So, um, Shall we go and take a quick break? Yes. And then uh, top up on our coffee and then come back. Yeah. Let's do that. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. Our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience, our community of contemplators like you, and we would really appreciate your help with this. Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. 
um, going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks and back to the show. So uh, Alanis Morissette's doing a podcast. I like that. I, it was I, good. I just came across it and I was like, oh yeah, because I, I, last year I, I listened to a podcast that she was on okay. and she was talking a lot about some of the stuff that I'm into as well in terms of the behavioral styles and right. aspect, like they were looking at the Enneagram on that particular one. But then I just came across, I was, in fact, I was on uh, Gardner's website. And I saw that he'd done this interview with her. So then right, I yeah, yeah. So the that, reason, yeah, yeah I'm bringing yeah. that up is, the, is that she interviews Howard Gardner about this multiple intelligence, yeah. which is really, you know, sort of suitable because she's a musician. And I, you presume that a lot of her strengths weren't necessarily recognized in school. Yeah. Um, and she said something in the interview about sort of how she's applied this to her own family and her kids in the process of unschooling. So I don't know what she's done in terms of that was an interesting taking concept, kids out of this school. idea of unschooling people. Well, it's quite a common concept among the home educating Is group. Is it? Unschooling yeah. people. Uh-huh, exactly. Because I know that in, in my, on my, on my adult learning cycle of it, one of the trends in L&D is learning that one of the big things is going to be learning how to unlearn. Because the pace right. of technology and things are moving, you learn one thing, but then it shifts. So you have to have right. this ability to unlearn things so that you can Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. learn a new mm-hmm. bit. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, new skill. So one of the things that came up in that interview that I really liked and I hadn't really thought of before is the historical aspect of this intelligence thing and how over, you know, so, so Howard Gardner brings up the fact that as the ecology of our world changes, the kinds of atel- intelligence we value changes. So way back when it was farmers and hunters that were the most intelligent so if you were a good hunter you were that was the most valued sort of in, kind of intelligence yes. um and so you, you think that's more, much more sp- come back with a deer or yeah exactly or and that's much more spatial another, isn't yeah, it yeah. and naturalistic whereas yeah. those things are are not as recognized in the school system now at all and you know on that point i thought about on this naturalist bit one, there's an app called iNaturalist, and if you have a smartphone, I encourage you to get it. Because um, one of the things I think sometime last year, I thought, you know what? And it was after one of our podcasts. Oh, is this the thing where you take a picture of something and yeah, it tells you, it what, tells it you is? what it is? Yeah, Dang, yeah, I do want that. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant because I, was, cause I think what sparked that was, you know, not knowing the, th- the story of the things around you. So to go out in your back garden and right. all you just see is grass and trees. Exactly. To know exactly yeah. kind of what those are. For me, this is a this is a big deal. Moving because, of course, I grew up in a subtropical environment. Yeah, you were in the swamps, so man. I, was I in seen the swamp. pictures of you in the swamps. So basically, I didn't take a picture. <laughs> I didn't show you the picture of me falling into the swamp. I no, you got to show me the pictures of you wrestling alligators as well, because I'm sure you must have done that as a kid. No, although I, yeah, no. Isn't that what kids no. in Florida do? You guys no. go to the swamp, not, wrestle not alligators, sensible children and like stuff me. Like, yeah? No, there weren't. A lot of poisonous snakes in the lake that we swam in, though. I would be very hesitant to let my own children swim. My mom was real brave. Anyway. Yeah, I like point it. is that I moved to this country, and now I'm in a world right of, of four, four seasons and totally different plants. And you, it has you, bothered me. You're in me. a world of electricity and stuff as well, and the wheel. How did you find all that sort of stuff coming from black backwater Florida? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, no. 
hey man, we're right across from Trump Tower. We're not in the back swamps. All right. Ugh, yeah, sorry. I did not mean to admit that. Anyway, moving on. Moving swiftly on. Swiftly on. Um, it's been a real important thing for me to be able to identify plants. Mm. And it's taken me a long time. And I feel like I've, I've made not a massive effort, but I've definitely made an effort at it to know what's blackthorn and what's hawthorn and that, you know, and that's like when things bloom yeah. and, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and to be able to pass that on to my kids. I mean, I have friends who homeschooled their their kids when they were younger. They're both in school now, but I'm um, live out on a farm. And I remember them, like the younger girl bringing me this sort of bouquet of, of um, flowers and leaves and stuff. And she could tell me what every single thing was. And I, I remember that being like, and of course now I think, she's grown up with this stuff her whole life. Like, yeah. of course she has. But actually at the time I was really profoundly like impressed that she knew this is Apple and this is, you know, this. And no, I think that's an, I think that's an incredible talent to, to have. Um, and it's a strange one for me because I love the outdoors and spend a lot of time out in the outdoors and derive a lot of my sort of spiritual well-being as it was. But I'm, I've never put the attention to mm-hmm. knowing what every plant and or tree and or flower was and yep. animal and or insects and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. the classifying of things and to know what I was. So I could, very good at navigating, throw me out in the woods and there I go and I'm comfortable in that space. And um, But in terms of naming things. Yeah, and in terms big. of also, I mean, I think this kind of intelligence is also, and if we think historically, it's also about knowing how to grow plants and what certain plants need and mm. what would you do when this thing goes wrong. And actually and enjoy, feel And a sense of enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. for me, so to be honest, gardening is not a thing I enjoy doing. It's a chore. Whereas Stephen has suddenly become a big gardener and yeah. so he's out back and he does most of the stuff. Yeah. He's the and one that's, that's like, let's do, you know. Because I like it only from a physical standpoint. Like I like cutting the grass and stuff like that from a mm-hmm. body kinesthetic thing because it's a chance to get out in the sun and move. Yep. But I can care less about whether the weeds are choking the flowers. Yep. Do you know what I mean? I don't really care that bit to, to, yep. to attend to a garden in that that yeah. kind of way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think that's, for me, it's sort of also a visual, spatial intelligence that goes with the gardening because, you know, he, I can see, I mean, that's a real strength for him as well, which is how our kids have this kind of strength that didn't come from me. But, you know, he can look at a space and be like, oh, this would look really good there. And I just don't do that. I don't look at spaces and go, if we did this, if we put these plants here and it, it went up like this and these colors were here... That would look really awesome. Mm. I'm just like, yeah, it looks awesome now. Yeah, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that looks really good. Yeah. But I just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have it done wouldn't that. Have sort of, no. It's good that you point that out because no. the sort of visual spatial bit is not, it is about that, isn't it? It's about being able to see things in that sort of 3D bit and understand what space looks Visualize like. Visualize things, things without it being there. I just yeah. cannot. Yeah. yeah is totally. that not your thing? No. On that note, because you were just mentioning that, shall we share what our our self-assessed results were yeah well yeah. just 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 to finish the the history because mm. basically like if you think about farmers and hunters and then you think because basically Gardner was saying yeah okay now in order to you know be a professor at harvard or to go through you know and succeed in school it's really the the logical and linguistic strengths that are the most sort of valued yeah but then also he was saying in the 19th century in order to get into harvard 
you would have had to have Greek and Latin. So it was much more of a, of, a, of a language learning linguistic aspect. Yeah. So, you know, and, the, and then he's, you know, then projecting into the future, the same as you were talking about earlier with, as technology is able to perform logical reasoning tasks that we now perform, and more and more they sort of take over those tasks. It isn't a strength anymore to be able to so do the mathematical problems. So sort of might come into play then. Yeah, and, th and then suddenly, maybe, being able to do artwork and stuff becomes yeah. more of a skill. So and I don't know, you know, it, it's interesting to sort of see a different trajectory and also how these things, because when you're in the moment, it's like, oh, it's just natural that this is the way we view intelligence. But actually, no, this is a total historical moment. Mm. Certain kinds of brains and the way that they work are seen as more intelligent. And other people who have like kinesthetic skills are sort of, oh, you're just athletic and, that, yeah. and you're not smart. And, and those people are sort of put down. Well, they're so, marginalized or yeah. we start putting it all together because there's two things in that. Elena sort of points out that I've noticed a trend in the US education in a way is that um, because there's this emphasis on the sort of the logic and mathematical aspect, mm -hmm. um, that the sort of interpersonal and inter intrapersonal and interpersonal skills, so empathy um, and rapport and, and yeah. understanding others around you and being and almost a sort of tolerating others, or understanding others around you. Yeah. We don't emphasize as much. And I notice yeah. a lot of programs, like musical programs, are being cut. Yeah. Because you know, who needs to do that? Because, yeah. you know, that's something you could and do as a hobby. Or right, even yeah. stuff like um, sports. Whereas I know growing up, for me, the sports aspect of the school was always quite big. You know, you have to mm -hmm. fit in the junk or not. But, um, but there was always that mandatory PE type thing yeah. going on, which I think that's becoming less and less. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and then, um, oh goodness, what was I going to say? I've lost it. Mm, can't remember. Lost. Can't remember. Is can't there remember. something in there about memory intelligence? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, just that um, the other thing that he said is that, you know, education used to be seen as something that was for the public good and so there was a lot more like civic lessons and sort of oh yeah you know like we did yes we just said yeah social studies and government and stuff and you learned how the government worked and you learned about I don't think they do that kind of stuff as no, much anymore I don't, do they I don't think so and I think you know he was making the point that as we've moved from seeing education as a public good to seeing it as a private good in other words like something that you personally are doing so that you personally can get a good job and make money and add to the you know it, yeah it, so you can be, join that consumer society which is, we've talked about yeah then yeah. then things sort of shift and different values on different kinds of intelligence then come to the fore mm. so maybe you know, so so things these things. I suppose the point is that they're shifting all the time. Yeah, that's it. So it's it's, it's and it. that what is being valued now, like where our kids are being trained for, isn't necessarily what they're going to need to know how to do. It's a, that's an interesting one on a number of different levels, and maybe this becomes another topic because I was thinking how early now kids get introduced to sort of programming and computers and things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, to the point, I think I read an article somewhere they were saying that sort of IT computery skills are going to become, those are going to be the new blue collar workers because it's right. going to be so just a natural part of the thing that you do. So before right. we used to create people that would go to the factories, now you're creating people that can turn out code and mm -hmm. then that's going to become the new 
Interesting. Um, blue collar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, interestingly enough, um, and I had this conversation, I think, last week as well with someone down in London, um, that it's that before you know you go to, you go get your MBA. Yeah. There's if you just Google it, there's a you know a trend of valuing MFAs more, so people will have a more creative right um, aspect because it is about this creativity and innovation and that that's mm-hmm. the, the the skill to have mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being you know mm-hmm. very sort of business literate in that sort of sense. So it's it's interesting that how those things sort of shifting and kind of changing and. I'd be interested to know, and maybe I need to go and hook up with some educators and, and things to get a, a view from their point of view in terms of how they are preparing and equipping kids to I mean, the join. Hard, yeah, I mean, the hard part of all of that, of course, is that all these education policies are being made in high of government by people who were not involved in education until very recently (laughs) so I think that's you know it's sort of it's not driven by science not driven by research about what's best for kids but I think it's a a whole other topic so exactly I think it'd be a good one to explore maybe we can interview some teachers and the like because it'll be economy will be a part of that so what are we producing in school so they can join in to the economy and be producers of whatever it is that we're valuing at the time and yeah where they're going to sort of, you know, sort of fit at, I think. Um, so, yeah, so... So yeah. tell us about your test. Oh, my test. What did you come up with? Yeah, my test scores, where are they? So um, I had linguistic is my highest one. Okay. So going back and talking about um, the sort of intelligence refers to the individual ability to analyze information and produce work that involves oral and spoken language probably hints this thing about podcasts that I love so much. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that the books are my number one source of place to go to learn and interact with things. Um, closely followed by, um, and two very close ones for me were intrapersonal and interpersonal, um, which again, maybe no surprise considering the work that I do um, professionally as well. Those play into that. Yeah. Um, and no surprises to me on the fact that my sort of mathematical one, it's not my lowest. I was surprised that my body, bodily kinesthetic one is actually my lowest based off of... Uh, yeah, for me one. as well. And I, I would actually, that's one of the things I don't really agree with. But then, of course, mm. the test that we took is very short and mm. there's only a few questions for each thing and if they're not asking you and having logic ahead of body come on i hate yeah. math <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i would have thought i got a zero on that one that's like my least thing ever but saying that that's that can't that's not totally true and i'm just thinking about the stuff i'm doing with the host of the bots and doing the whole sort of stuff with doing websites i think that's the thing i think that things. the logical mathematical is not just about yeah it's not just about, about math. maths yeah. no it's about it's about being able to I mean, even in terms of storytelling and in terms of teaching, I find mm. this really true. Like, people who teach and are good at teaching and explaining things to others in whatever capacity that is, you do have to have a reasonable amount of logic as well because you have to be able to understand what needs to follow off of what. Mm. You know, and, and, and if, you're, if, you're, if you find that easy... It's chaos, though, because as you're saying it, I'm thinking about some of the things that I do, you would naturally think I had a lot of this sort of logical, mathematical bit from that point of view. So, designing things and, you know, with the 
sort of doing the web stuff and doing the bar yeah. stuff. But if you were to look inside my mind at how I actually approach those things and you saw the chaos. <laughs> yeah, go, right, like, right, right. But in fact, I probably use more of the sort of visual, spatial stuff that helped me with that. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's different then. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I would probably. And that's. I mean, you look at the two versions of our notes, and you can well, see yeah. that, isn't it? Like my, <laughs> I'm just, my, I am much more sort of. Hey, this follows this follows this. My notes were. I'm a I'm a list person. I've never been a mind map person like you. Well, see, I, and that's that's another funny one because mind map itself, I cannot get on with mind maps. Okay. Because they're too logical. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. List, either list I can do or just to throw Because stuff. lists can be completely random. Yeah. yeah. Or just kind of, if I, cause, because mind maps almost forced me in the place of kind of thinking, well, this thing's got to go like that, and then you kind of. Right. And I yeah. just much prefer to just throw everything throw things down out, yeah. in any kind of random kind of crazy kind of yeah. space, and that, that works a lot better for me. And, yeah. It's funny because, you know, these things also sort of really underlay your personality. And I think this is one of the things that me and my best friend that I grew up with, why we're still friends, mm. is despite the distance, we really think similarly. So not only do we have this sort of, you know, long shared thing, but when you talk to someone, you know, there's various ways of talking through any kind of event. And I think they're, you know, I, I, we, we're both very logical thinkers. Mm. And so I think, yeah, we can sort of, when, when one of us says something and you make a sort of series of, of statements, it's like the other person's like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm fault. That's, you know, whereas I think sometimes when you, when you reach someone else, it's like completely illogical and you're, you're someone like me, there's a bit of a like, I can't handle this. This yeah, doesn't no, make any sense. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have those It's having you know, that strengths. awareness, though, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. if you don't have the awareness that there is another way, yeah, exactly. then that makes this communication strain. But that awareness that you have that other people fit and have different intelligence and or behavioral styles, and then, then you're able to accommodate yeah. that. Um, a, lot, a lot of the work that I do with teams and stuff is around that because a lot of times you just kind of in your preference and then right. you can't understand why yes. either I have difficulty talking to that person or every time I go, I can't wait to get out of there. But once you or else you a, keep trying to explain something, but yeah. they're not getting it. And, and you're like, how can I explain this in a different way or to you? Or like in the sense of me, if you're giving me loads of details and I'm just no longer listening to you past the first sentence. Um, because I just, and I'm sure in, in my other way, because I yeah. talk very globally and big picture. It'll drive someone that needs a lot of detail and logic absolutely mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. if we're not aware of that. And yeah. one of the things that we work very well is because we kind of work in compliments, isn't it? So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of handle this sort of details. Well, sort of and it's, it's kind of funny because, like, I think the other thing is exactly like you're saying, if you have a job in which you're teaching or training people, mm. but also, you know, in that same way, because we're always used to functioning through our our own preferences preferences, but also with kids suddenly you get situations where someone has a completely different strength than you and I'm just like wow my seven-year-old can draw way better than I can Mm. and can conceptualize and remember what something visually looks like way better than I can like he could he could draw something he's seen weeks ago and it's I can't visualize things like that. Yeah. You know, and when, you, when you're sort of thing, faced I'm, with I'm that, then you're that like, that wow, so that's how, really cool. How do you nurture that, though? Because this is a thing that I think from a parenting point of view that must be hard for parents is that you have your own sort of preferences and 
you know, you don't always want to be being aware all the time. You're kind of doing your thing. But so, yeah. like, if he has that talent, how do you nurture that talent so that, you know, tell he, him that it's a talent? He could be the next sort of Michelangelo yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, or, or like architect or, or, or whatever. Or yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, totally. And it's like, how do you nurture He's that? He's going to build the first pyramids in, in the UK. Hmm. Apparently, that's what he's going to do when he grows up. Because it's, but it'd be about, well, no. Because he heard there's no pyramids in this country. And I, I don't, I mean, I didn't laugh because I don't think that, you know, you, you know, could yeah, maybe make some cool. pyramids that are, yeah. who knows what they could be. But yeah. it's recognizing it, having the, you know, being aware and recognizing it in our kids and then nurturing it. So presenting them with opportunities to which they can um, take advance and continue to advance yeah. on that piece that's there. That's right. That, that their thing, because I, I, I think, think that's, that's yeah. a missed opportunity there in lots of ways, because you're, they're focused on school and that kind of stuff and getting through that. But it's like, and some, doing something along those lines is, you know, it's outside of that big block of time, and then they've got homework. So it's how do you cultivate that in a way that helps that person to grow in that space, given the other workload that they might have as well. Yeah, no, mm. that it is a real challenge because, of course, I have to get my son to sort of perform reasonably well in yeah. the things that they're testing, testing him on. on yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I think that the approach as a parent and is And then the if same. you've got multiple kids. Yeah, <laughs> who are very different. Say, yeah. Because that, that's a taxing on you to be aware of that and then try to cater to yeah. this one and cater yeah. to that one because we yeah. probably almost fall into the teacher trap as in, well, you know what? I can only be in one place at one time. So you're both going to be in this sort of space because, you know, that's kind of But I think this is at. the attitude we need to take with ourselves as well because we all have grown up in this culture that defines intelligence in a particular way. And we all, as you know, if, you, if you're anywhere listening to this podcast in adulthood, you know, mm. then you already have an idea of yourself of what you're smart or whether you're smart or not and in what ways you're smart or not. And I think that, you know, having the attitude to yourself as you would to your child is actually maybe the right thing to do. It's just, you know, to, to kind of move into a space where you reject that old IQ, this is how you're smart, and you look at this list and go, these are the strengths I have, actually kinesthetic strength, like being able to, you know, do be sportsy or, you know, athletic or whatever is an intelligence because not everybody can do that. There are people that are really, really clumsy. And, but here's you know, the thing that you got to balance that out with because I'm thinking about, and I was listening to that podcast and this kind of came up and as an idea as well. Um, I think one of the people that Alanis had um, interviewed who was uh, one of these parkour gods, right? Yeah, yeah. right? But, you know, he th for the longest time he just thought he was dumb and he didn't That's get right. it, but then he discovered that. But then when he chose to do that, the amount of negative pressure yeah. that he got from others around him, parents and things, when he said, well, this is what I'm going to do, because they were thinking, well, is that something you can make money at, in quotation marks, yeah. and make a living at, and are you but wasting also, your time pursuing But also, that? it's not just about money and, and making a successful career, is it? It's also about the sort of where it, it falls on the chart of status in our society, and there's certain jobs that are given more status than other jobs, mm. you know, so... You know, if you're an amazing carpenter and you're able to, you know, do things with craft, 
you're way lower down on the sort of status chart than a lawyer or a doctor, isn't but it? But a kid won't know that. The parent will know that. And I can exactly. ask that's but the I think challenge that's, with the parent. They'll probably right. be thinking, well, here's, here's what society says is a measure of success in doing these things. Yeah. I know you're showing a, a propensity towards being a carpenter, but then you're going to be limited to this class. Whereas I want you to move beyond maybe where I was and to be up here. So yeah. that's a great hobby to have, but you, you should be yeah. focusing on yeah. these things. I mean, I, I think that the point that, because um, there's another podcast I, or a YouTube video I was listening to by uh, of a talk by a guy called Ken Robinson, who's a big education sort of person. He's got TED Talks and stuff. Um, and he was basically saying, he's a, a professor of stuff as well, so he's like professor way high up in the... But I'm he's a professor of stuff. I like that. <laughs> That's my new title, people. I am professor. a professor of stuff. Basically, um, you know, he was sort of saying that we don't know, like, it, like basically, you know, we don't know what the future can hold in terms of people's ability to make money doing all kinds of stuff. You know, so we're sort of having this creative explosion where artists and, and sort of craftspeople are now able to actually make it a really decent living. Mm. Um, so these sort of old standards that people grew up with aren't necessarily valid anymore, although they're still felt. So what would you say would be something to make sure kids have? If you were to make a list, because I'm just thinking now, like, I think, as you just mentioned there, that we're living in a kind of a space where you know, whatever you're doing, you could make a success of it given the means of access to people and distribution and all of that. Yeah. Um, what are the underlying skills then that young people should be paying attention to that, or that we could help them to develop? You know, is there something about, you know, the hustle or something about um, being good at, at discipline? Is that another one? So, because a lot of these things, while it's E mm. It's possible to make a living at an artist. It's not easy. So, are we? Do we need to teach them how to perseverance, resilience, um, yeah. those kinds of things, yeah. so that they're able to cope with? To be honest, some of it I think is about making sure that we're not we're trying to get our kids and ourselves to stay out of our own way in mm. terms of so maybe half that's the of the battle. Stuff. Well, no, no, no. The what I mean is that if we recognize that there are all these different ways of being intelligent and we, you know, hopefully raise kids and have an attitude towards ourselves and others that everybody has skills in their own way and these are mine and we reject that sort of hierarchy of intelligences, then a lot of the, the stuff that keeps people from actually just doing what they want to do. I mean, you come across this, it must be all the time with coaching, that it's not that people don't have the skill, it's that they're in their own way. They're, they don't they're have too, the will, as well, Muhammad either, Ali said. Either they don't have the will, or they're all wrapped up in fears that they're not actually good at enough to do stuff. And I think that that comes a lot from schooling and being taught that you're not smart and that you're not good at stuff. You know, and, and if we can sort of move beyond that... Then, I think it's a crazy yeah. balance, though, isn't it? There's a crazy balance between you can do whatever it is that you put your mind to, and is that really, and I know we're probably straying off into a whole other topic, is that the whole of the story? Um, no, it's true. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, and then yeah, it's, yeah. it's what does people value? Because we're, we're trying to navigate that 
as in what does society value? Just because I'm good at something and passionate, and this is what I run into a lot, and uh, and, I'm, and and I think that makes me that has made me move away from the industry that I'm in. From the so I still the corporate stuff is great because we're focused on performance and I like, but the more personal stuff I've kind of moved away from, um, in the sense that that industry um, kind of um, hardly kind of. Propagate, say, yeah, just go find your passion. I know we had a whole conversation yeah, right. about that, and then you can go. But that doesn't mean just because you're passionate about it, and you're, even if you're good at it, doesn't mean that there's a market for it. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make be able to make a living out of it. Yeah. Um, because you're great, you're at it, but who wants to buy it? It might not be a space for it. So I think that's a part of that sure mission that, equation, though, isn't it? I'm not sure if that matches up with this, the kinds of intelligence, is mm. it? Because well, that, no, no, absolutely. You know, yeah, so, no, so I think, think that if we, if we, yeah, if we, we stay explore. in the yeah. realm of the more intelligences mm. and you playing to your strengths in terms of intelligence, that's much more broad than like, I need to be a dancer. Mm. You know, because there's a lot of people that dreamed of being a dancer and they're not good enough to make the Royal Ballet or they didn't have the connections to get in or whatever. But then they can either dance locally or they be a dance teacher or they move into a different kind of physical sort of go be a yoga teacher mm. or whatever. Or maybe not even as far as to be specific in the sense of the example that I've used in terms of the different intelligence but how it helps me to do whatever. So I right. problem solve by standing up and moving around yeah. versus if you say, well, you need to sit still yeah, right. and you're not yeah, allowed yeah. to talk out loud and you make me have to mm -hmm. set, uh, you know, accumulate information yeah. in a way that doesn't work with my brain but if you yeah. allow me to stand up and scribble on stuff and walk and talk then you want me to learn how to do those math problems so this is the way that I need to be able to understand right. it yeah, yeah, yeah. in that best way that way um, but if you try and make me do it this way yeah. I'm at a loss I'm out, yeah. I'm, out. I'm at a yeah. loss so if they had taught me how to do math in a different way I could maybe be better at math yeah, than yeah, those yeah, sorts yeah, yeah. of of things like yeah. I think there was an example in the uh, in one of the uh, Gardner ones where you know someone that's kinesthetic bodily teach the math not by fractions I think you use you know give them some oranges and then sh show them what fractions look like as opposed to the theory of fractions and that and then they then they get the concept and then they're able to apply that concept beyond just that one modality but let them use their strengths as you yeah. say to to assimilate that in the best way for them so that they can apply it in other ways yeah 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 cool and i think that's a good place to stop maybe get more coffee get more coffee no it's time for grub okay it's time for a big burger i'm gonna learn about have, have bots. we have we, gonna tell me have about we bots? done a, a podcast on food and the importance of Gastronomy is that what it's called? Gastronomy. Sure, we can do that. Huh? We haven't done it. We no. haven't. We have not done. This is supposed to be a practical um, podcast. Well, is maybe it? look forward well, to listen, that next week. Two things. He, One, Clay's going to go have his burger as always. And yeah, but well, something hear. around food. But then I wrote down a question when I was at the movies because there was a commercial in the movies that's saying that the movies go and is a social experience. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, actually, we're all just sat here individually looking at this but it made me th i wrote it down i think i put it on our trillo board because is a is movie going a social occasion i don't know i don't know one to explore and we got to do one on food but that's right, good check that's, yeah cool 
Uh, well, should we thank some thank people? Thanks for listening and the support. And I noticed we have a lot of activity now starting to happen in the Facebook group. So thank you guys all for contributing um, your ideas and thoughts in the Facebook group um, and just the general interaction and, and the like that we're starting to pick up and get is Yay, we love you. Yeah, it's absolutely. like people are with us now. Yeah, a- absolutely. In spirit. Yes. And if you do ever have a topic that you would like us to uh, discuss or talk about on the podcast, by all means, just drop it in the uh, in the forum or drop us a, a tweet message or, or tweet yeah. or what have you, and uh, we can throw it on the Trello board and um, make that happen. Yeah, cool. cool. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. We have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience, our contemplate our community of contemplators like you, and we'd really appreciate your help. In fact, there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot. One is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show. Another is going to iTunes and giving us a review, which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, can, people can come across it. And you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website. Thanks a lot.